Well, welcome to our broadcast today to the wonderful Words of Life. We're in Hebrews chapter 5 today, and we'll be talking about the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus. Actually, in the last session, we left off in chapter 4, verse 14, and this really begins Paul's uh, treatise on the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a very exciting uh, teaching. Of course, the entire New Testament is an exciting teaching, but I like the book of Hebrews because the center of this book uh, pertains to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is and should be at the center of our worship. Uh, he should be the center of our personal worship, our worship at church. Everything revolves around him. And so we're very thankful today that we have a Savior uh, that uh, was in all points tried like we were, like we are rather, and yet without sin. So we thank you for that. Now, the psalmist says this. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. That is such a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture found in Psalms 18. Father, in the name of Jesus, now, Lord, we throw all of our hope, all of our intentions, the thoughts and intents of our heart, Upon thee, Ford, Father, and we ask you, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, come alongside of us and help us not only to deliver this word accurately, but to receive it accurately in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, praise God. So let's begin Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16, and then we'll read Hebrews chapter five, verse one. This is. Uh, Paul speaking to us, writing to us concerning Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Notice Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That means our profession of faith in him. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need now there has been some discussion concerning verse 16 let us therefore come boldly uh, some people some commentators don't like that word boldly but i look at it this way when you were a child and you were in trouble where did you run to you ran to mama or you ran to daddy because you had confidence that they were going to take care of you and you felt secure in their care. So in a way, you ran boldly to your mama. You ran boldly to your daddy because, you know, that's where you would get help from whatever was troubling. Maybe a bully, uh, maybe somebody uh, was after you or something like that. You would always run home to mama as a child. And so, uh, or daddy. So 
in a way that was boldly coming to your parents because you knew they were the ones that were going to supply that which you needed. And that's basically what uh, the Apostle Paul is talking here. You know, we come boldly to the throne of grace and we do that for what reason? To obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. God's grace, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Now, notice here that uh, in verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Notice Paul writes, and he says, for every high priest taken from among men. Well, this verse now validates Jesus Christ to be our great high priest because uh, he is the infinite God-man. He took upon himself the likeness of human flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh so that we might become uh, the children of God. Amen. And so this sets him apart, and we're going to see this. This sets him apart, his position uh, in the things of God, sets him apart from the Aaronic priesthood. And I've, we've already seen that Christ is far superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. And also he is superior to Moses, who was the lawgiver. We're going to see now that that Christ is superior to the priesthood that came out of the root of Aaron. Verse two, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for he that for that he himself also is compassed about with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. All right, now let's go back to verse 1 again. Notice now what Paul is stating here. He's talking about the ministry of high priest. He says this, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Now, we're not talking about the Lord Jesus. We're talking about uh, the earthly uh, priests that served in, in the order of the Old Testament the, that came from the, uh, uh, from the line of Aaron. Uh, verse 3, And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. So now this, these verses here, uh, they separate Jesus Christ because we've already read in Hebrews chapter four that he was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. So this separates Jesus Christ, our great high priest, from the priests that served in the flesh, talking about those that came out of the uh, the root of Aaron. Uh, now. Jesus and, and, and I, I hate to say this, but I heard a preacher on TV called Jesus a sinner, said that Jesus on the cross became a sinner. No, that is theologically, that is heretical. That is not true. Jesus did not become sin. Jesus was made sin, just like the scapegoat on the day of atonement had an innocent goat that had done nothing wrong, had the sins of Israel uh, conferred or transferred unto him by the high priest, and that goat was sent out into the wilderness never to uh, return. So uh, Jesus was not made a sinner. He was, I mean, he did not become a sinner on the cross. He did not become sin. He was made sin. 
Amen. He was not made a sinner. He was made sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So it's that act, uh, the full redemption, death, burial, and resurrection qualifies him now in view of the fact that he's been raised and ascended up on high and he's at the right hand of the Father. Uh, what Paul said in chapter 1, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, that qualifies him uh, to be a high priest called, Paul calls the great high priest, greater than the priest that came out of Aaron. Amen. All right, now verse 4, And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Aaron was called of God, well, in a much greater way, Jesus is called of God. Now, when we're talking about taking honor, listen to what Matthew records in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So that clearly states God's acceptance of his Son. Amen. In his ministry, and that which he's called to be, Savior, Lord, and also his present ministry as the great high priest over the house of God. Amen. Praise God. And so we have here in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, a perfect picture of the Trinity. God the Father speaking from heaven concerning his Son who came out of the water and the Spirit of God descending upon him as a dove. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, you know, I just have to disagree with some of my brothers. The Father and the Holy Ghost are not titles. <laughs> Amen. Uh, they are speaking of persons, three persons. Amen. Just like the body of Christ is one body but has many members, the, the Godhead is one God but exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself, to be made in high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now notice Paul writes and he says, Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. That was the Father's divine appointment that he gave to Christ. Christ didn't seize upon that opportunity himself. God the Father appointed him to serve as our great high priest. And notice that uh, Paul also writes and quotes uh, the Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And Psalms 2, 7 says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So that's a uh, Psalm 2 is recognized as a messianic psalm, and that's a psalm that has a double reference. Amen. But notice that Paul said, uh, quoting this verse, Today have I begotten thee. And the, although the primary definition of begotten is to procreate, you know, we understand, this is according to Theranel, we understand this word, in, uh, the word be, uh, begotten in a metaphorical sense, meaning that he has made Christ his son in virtue of being born of a woman. So, uh, we think of procreation of Christ in terms of the virgin birth, not in the terms of eternity. Not that Jesus was a created being. No, 
we think of procreation in terms of the virgin birth. In other words, Jesus taking upon himself a human body. Amen. So uh, this beginning, beginning rather, was determined. And we go all the way back to John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and that there was not anything made that was not made by him. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So this begetting determined before the creation of the world was ever made, but fulfilled when Jesus was born of a virgin. Amen. So Jesus was not a creation. Amen. He was not a created being. Uh, This that uh, Paul is talking about is a divine appointment. Uh, Verse six says, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Notice that Paul writes and he says, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And isn't it interesting that of all the the persons and characters in the Old Testament that Paul chooses this this man, Melchizedek. He does, he's not talking about a priest at, out of Aaron. He's talking about a priest after the order. Notice that after the order of Melchizedek. And we'll learn more about him as we go along. But notice that Paul says that this order of priesthood stood outside of and was other than the priesthood of Aaron. And this so typifies Jesus because he is so other than us. Amen. He came into this world other than us. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, now through the power of the new birth, through the power of redemption, Christ is making us not other than him. He is making us like him. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So here we have a man from heaven taking upon himself human flesh. So other than what we are. Remember, he was tried in all points like we are yet without sin. And through his death, burial, resurrection and sending the Holy Spirit, causing us to be born again, become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Now he's working in us. That perfection making us not other than him, but like unto him. And I think that's a tremendous truth in the word of God. So thus, according to W.E. Vine, in, in these verses, there's three great important points that Paul is bringing out concerning Christ Jesus as our Savior and as our great high priest. Number one, Paul mentions his deity. Thou art my son. And he speaks of Christ in chapter four. We read those verses when we first began. He speaks of Christ's sinless, perfect humanity. Amen. Praise God. Verses 14 and 15 in chapter four. And now he's speaking of Christ and will speak of Christ's superiority over the Aaronic priesthood. And we'll find that as we go along. And of course, in Hebrews chapter seven, verse 24, uh, Paul says that Christ has an unchangeable priesthood. Why? Because he lives forever. He ever lives to make intercession for us. As a matter of fact, in the TEV translation of uh, Hebrews chapter seven, verses 24 through 26, notice he says, but Jesus lives on forever. 
and his work as priest does not pass on to someone else. And so he is able now and always to save those who come to God through him because he lives forever to plead with God for them. Jesus then, the first part of verse 26, Jesus then is the high priest that meets our needs. Praise God. Amen. All right, verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Remember the garden. Remember his tremendous uh, uh, hours of prayer and pleading and petitioning God. And he says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, it's not my will, but thy will be done. And then he says, Lord, if it's your will for, for me to drink this bitter cup, talking about the death, burial, of Christ, if it's your will for me to drink this cup, then thy will be done. Amen. So he learned, verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Amen. So this answers the question, why is there suffering in the life of the Christian? The suffering of temptation, the suffering of tests, things like that. God allows these things in order for us to learn obedience. The, the more of, of this type of testing and, and temptation that we come through, we come to realize more our dependence, less on ourselves and more upon him. There are times, and I have been there, brothers and sisters, I have been there where I looked at myself and there was nothing to see. There was no future. There was a past that was not glorious, and there was a presence, a present where, where I feel like there, there was nothing going on at all in my life, you see. And that type of suffering caused me to stop looking at myself and to begin looking at him, the author and finisher of our faith. That's what spiritual maturity is. We come to realize that there's nothing in us to be glorified. All glory comes to him. It was stated long ago by a teacher that said that babyhood is all concern is about the self, very little concern about God. When we come to teenage years or youth years, we begin to realize that not to depend so much on ourselves, but to depend more on God. But when we come to full age, full Christian maturity, we realize that there's no dependence upon ourselves and all our dependence is upon God. That is truly when we become humble creatures of Almighty God. When we realize the hopelessness in our own works, but the greatness of God in his work that is done in us. Praise God. And of course, I think we need to read Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven goes right along with this, these two verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, one translation says, who is God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But see, that speaks right there of, his, of, of uh, the infinite God man. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus did not come down here. He laid aside his mighty power and glory, one translation says but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we talked about that. Way back in chapter one, all things, all things in heaven and earth and under the earth, all things have been brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. All right. Now look at verse nine. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Notice that verse nine. Let's read it again. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Amen. Talking about the vital appropriation of eternal redemption that is offered in Christ. God said this, he will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter said this, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Positionally, the redemption, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was for all mankind. Every man, every woman, every, every man, every person born of a woman. Positionally, Christ died for that person. But vitally, eternal salvation is for them that obey him. Amen. Going back to verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Those who choose to obey Christ, they are granted eternal salvation in whom Christ is the author of. Now, this word being made perfect does not mean what you think you and I think it means. It comes from the Greek word teleao, and it means to make perfect. And it has specifically and literally applies to the priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension on high, that which he has accomplished and being made for. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 1931? It is finished. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Talking about that which he accomplished. Amen. In lieu of the fact of the calling that the father gave him, but what he accomplished on our behalf. That's why Paul calls him the captain of our salvation. Amen. Praise God. And of course, John records the words of Jesus in chapter 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, this word author, it comes from the Greek word atios, and it means the cause of. Jesus now is the author or the cause of eternal salvation. Amen. Praise God. That's what Jesus is to us today. Praise God. Amen. All right. Now, this last section, these last four verses concern Paul's warning against the Hebrew Christians abandoning the faith in Christ and going back under the law. So this is a warning to backsliders. This is a warning to apostates. Jews that left the Christian faith went back under circumcision, went back under the law of Moses. They apostatized the faith. 
They turn their back on Christ. And there are some that do that today. Think about some of the denominations now that were raised up in the fire of God. Well, the the glory has departed. In many cases, the glory has departed those denominations. They no longer preach Christ. I mean, I've heard of church services where they've invited pagans to come in and worship their deities. There are some uh, Christian organizations that uh, that want to bestow honor and worship to the mother of heaven. Can you imagine? And so-called formerly Christian churches. Well, they're not Christian churches. All they are is buildings. When you and I go to worship, you know, the building is not the church. The people are the church. Amen. And without the people, the church, all that temple is or whatever you want to call it, that structure, all that is is a building. Amen. That's not the real church. Praise God. All right. Now, verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. In other words, they were slow, sluggish, sluggish. Their minds, they weren't picking up on these things. Like so many in the church world, they don't think they have any responsibility other than just going to church and listening to the preacher. They don't read for themselves. They don't study for themselves. They've never developed a prayer life. They remain babyhood stage Christians in development. Amen. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Notice the first principles of the oracles of God. What is Paul talking about here? What's he talking about? He's talking about basic Christian teaching. Christian foundations. Amen. Of which Christ is at the very top. We learn Christ. You have like what Paul said to the Ephesian church. You have not so learned Christ. We have the responsibility to learn Christ, to gain a greater knowledge of him. How does that come? That comes through prayer. That comes through study. That comes through being hungry for the things of God. Amen. Verse 13. For everyone that is useful for, uh, I'm sorry, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, this gives us, verse 13 gives us a clue. Notice what he says here. Unskillful in the word of righteousness. It implies the fact that the Hebrew Christians were still looking at a works of righteousness under the law, and they had not adequately understood that righteousness now is conditioned on our obedience to Christ. We are given the gift of righteousness. Amen. Praise God. We're not righteous in our own works, not by works of righteousness, which Paul wrote to Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Verse 14, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. That's the Greek word teleos. It's an adjective. Amen. Of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, this word or term of full age means full grown. It means become a believer. The ability to discern between that which is good and that which is evil. So what Paul is implying here in these two verses that the Hebrew Christians were still swayed by the the thought of of self-imposed righteousness and keeping of the law. 
And they were not looking into fully grasping and apprehending in their minds and in their souls the imputation of righteousness through faith in Christ and Christ alone. Paul calls them babes in Christ. Amen. So they have to be taught again. They have need of milk. They can't eat strong meat. Unskillful in the words of righteousness. And so that's Paul's warning to us today. Let's go on into perfection. Isn't that what he told us to do? Let's go on unto perfection. Looking unto the author and finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest, the one who's always there. So we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens. So now we can come boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that a good word? I believe it is. Father, we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, Lord, we just ask the, the revelation of your word to permeate our very being as we open up our hearts, Lord. Fill us now with wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.